building on a full and accurate truth concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the scriptures speak. This is the Relentlessly Biblical Podcast. Welcome, everyone. This is episode 13 of the Relentlessly Biblical Podcast. And this is going to be an interesting one. Christian, uh, first of all, I'm Alexander Ortiz. And I'm Christian. Get those introductions out the way. Look, we're a little wonky. (laughs) We've been talking for like an hour and a half about the book of Acts. It is like quicksand. (laughs) Before we got into it. Before we even got into the episode. But welcome, everyone. I know we're a little wonky and a little weird, but we're glad to have you. It is episode 13, and it's an important milestone for us because um, we've got 12 episodes under our belt, Christian. Let's go. A whole year's worth. We've got a year that we've been doing this, and I... I have to, and I have to for a moment before we even get started, just, you know, kind of talk about that for a little bit because it's been quite a year. Uh, I, I know I've learned quite a bit about this platform that we're on, which is incredible. The reach that you can have with something like a podcast, it's been a real blessing to the ministry. Uh, but I wanted to thank my co-host, Christian Ortiz, who's, I'm Christian Ortiz. I changed his name on him too, Christian Lopez who basically has been here for a year doing a lot of the engineering and production work and, of course, uh, joins me with the teaching. And it's hard work, and I wanted to thank you and uh, acknowledge that because um, we do it, and we do it out of love. We really do. We really enjoy ourselves doing this. But um, it's been a year, and I just had to acknowledge that. And I also want to send a shout-out to our guests, too. We've had some great guests, and we've got more on the way, by the way. Got a really special one lined up coming soon. So we've had some interesting guests, too, who have been very graceful to come on the show and and share their biblical knowledge with us. And and that's been tremendous. I hope that you guys have been enjoying that. And, of course, our ministry board, who we basically go to and we take all these things to. And and we talk about it as a team. We talk about it as a ministry. and, And we are where we are at this point because our leadership has been working with us and and helping us to do that as well. And last but not least, of course, is you guys, the listeners, that you guys have been listening and downloading our podcast. It's just amazing. And I just thank everyone that's out there that tunes into us on a regular basis. And um, we couldn't be doing this without you. Amen. So we want to thank you wherever you are in the world. And it is a world thing. And it kind of still blows me away. And there's some of you that have been financially supporting us as well, too. So we thank you. Thank those people as well, too, for for not just listening, but putting themselves on the line for what we're doing here, too. So I encourage if you're not doing that to go ahead and join that 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 group of people and put that faith in us, because I think this has been a great year. It has been. It's been awesome. Any other thoughts on uh, on the year that's gone by there, Christian? I will say it's been a blessing. It really has. Uh, it's been a blessing just uh, being able to uh, dive into the scriptures with you um, and really just being able to learn from each other and what God has been teaching us through his his word. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate you having me on as a co-host. Dude, it's been a pleasure. I'm I'm here for the stay. Glad to have you, man. <laughs> But we're more than anything glad to have that somebody listens to us, bro. Yes, yes. There's amen. people out there listening to us. It's pretty amazing. 
but I also want to just uh, let you guys know as a reminder that we've kind of we're doing a little reshuffling in some of the ways that we're presenting some of the information that we put out for these episodes. If you go to our show notes, we have made the show notes kind of, you know, grand central of everything that that has to do with this show. I mean, you'll find the links where you can listen and follow the podcast. That's a link that you can share with people. And we cover that in our in, in, in our in our break and in, in audio that we put out there. But I, the, the point I want to make is that our show notes is where you go for everything. Anything that we reference in, in the show and anything as far as finding out more about us, getting in contact with us, hitting our social media pages, it's all there. We've kind of made the show notes kind of the central point of contact for everyone out there. So I just want to encourage everyone to kind of review those as you go listening through these episodes. It's the central location for everything about this podcast. It makes it easier. It does. It does. And we've got a big announcement, too of something that's coming very, very soon. We don't have a date for it. It's kind of a soft date. We've been talking about something coming for a few episodes. Yes. And um, we've been kind of planning for it. And as I said before, the board gave us the okay to do it. And we're going to start a new podcast show. It's not going to be a teaching show like this one in the sense that we're going to delve into scripture and do verse-by-verse teaching. It is really something that's been burning my heart all the years that I've been in ministry. And it's a platform that we're going to use to share testimonies and how the Bible has changed people's lives. And the name of that show is going to be called Evidence of Truth. Evidence of Truth. And what is Evidence of Truth? It's basically the evidence of God. The effect that the scriptures have on people to transform lives. That's how you see the evidence of truth. You see it in people. You see it in their testimony. So we're starting a new show, folks. It should be dropping very, very soon on basically testimonies and how the Bible has changed lives. And we've got some really cool stuff coming there, too. It's not going to be a monthly thing. I'd love it to be. (laughs) Yeah. We're tasked with our bandwidth to do that. If we can do it, we will. But if we can't, we may miss a month or so. But technically, it's going to be something that we're going to be shooting for to do something every month. But definitely from time to time, when we get a good testimony, we're going to share that with you. Because, I mean, Bible study is awesome, Christian. Yeah, it is. And and it's something that every Christian should be doing. But there's just something about someone sitting down and sharing their story that is so relatable. Amen. And speaks to so many people. This is the Christian and Alex show. And after a while, Christian and Alex is kind of the same old jokes. (laughs) (laughs) But when you hear other voices, voices of people called by God, And that's the evidence of truth. It's basically voices of people called by God. And you see the change that they've had in their lives and what God has done in their lives and the power of the Bible to just transform lives. I think it's going to be a powerful show. So follow us on all our social medias, because when we announce it, we're not going to announce it here. We're going to announce it um, on social media, because by the time this episode posts at the beginning of the month, probably towards the middle of the month somewhat, right, somehow right. it's going to drop and we're not going to have another opportunity to talk about it. So if you want to know first before anybody else, go to our uh, social media pages and everything's right in the show notes where you can go to our homepage for the show, the audio homepage, and you can see where our links are, are right at the top of the page at relentlesslybiblical.org or .com. Either one will get you there, but click on the Facebook or Twitter link there and you'll you'll find us and just, you know, follow us and like us. And when that drops, you'll be the first to know. But we'll talk about it a little bit more as we go on. But that's the big reveal. 
Yeah, buddy. And that's coming soon. So um, Core Truth Media is growing. We've got another show, and we're excited about that. And um, we're excited for you to be here, and hope that you follow us on that show as well, too. Okay? What we're going to talk about today, though, is what salvation is not. What it's not. And it's funny that we're starting on the negative. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. But it's it's important. It's necessary, okay? Because it's such an urgent thing. I mean, when you look at Matthew 7, and we covered this when we talk about can a Christian, um, no, it was uh, the house of uh, on a rock and not sand, how Matthew 7 talks about Jesus Christ. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew 7, 21 through 23, he says that. It's important. It's urgent that you get your gospel right. It really is. It's something that Jesus came, and he did what he did for us on the cross. But he's in a, he came as a redeemer. He's coming back as a judge. Yes. And we have got to be ready. And we've had challenges over the years, and we've talked about it here in this podcast, of people who have kind of the wrong idea of what salvation is. So that's really what we're going to cover in this episode, Christian, what salvation is not. And we're going to start right away. It's basically we're going to focus on two pieces of Scripture, although we kind of jump around and maybe reference others. But the first piece of Scripture that we're going to read is the book of Acts, and that's chapter 8 verse 9 through 24, and then later on we're going to jump into Matthew 19 and cover 16 through 26, verses 16 through 26. But right now I want to start in Acts chapter 8. And before we do that, like we always do, let's set some context here. The book of Acts, like we said, is it can be like quicksand. And the reason <laughs> that you got to tread lightly, this is where we spent an hour and a half yeah. <laughs> kind of talking about it before the show, is that the book of Acts is really a book that in the evangelical church itself, it's misunderstood. Never mind what the secular world thinks about it. I mean, it's just one of those books that that people have just misconceptions about, and primarily about what the Holy Spirit's role is in ministry. And all I've got to say about that, without getting too deep into the woods on this, because you can, because you can, okay, is that for me. Okay, from what I gather from scriptures, and that's a big part of what Christian and I were prepping for with the show, a big part of what Acts is for me, okay, when the Gospels end, the four Gospels end, Christ isn't out of the picture anymore. And a lot of people have that, that view, Christian. A lot of people see, like, as soon as you finish the book of John, wow, I've read the Gospels. Now what happens in the rest of the, right, the story? Right. Well, the rest of the story, God is pre Jesus is present. The Holy Spirit is ministering in the church, and the Holy Spirit is alive and present, and Jesus Christ is working through the Spirit in the book of Acts. So if there's one perspective I want you to have, everyone, is that when you look at the book of Acts, you have to look at it as a continuation of Christ's ministry. Yeah, that's a good and way to look at it. It is a good way of looking at it, and I think it helps you navigate it more intelligently. It helps you to discern what's happening in that transitional period of the church a lot better because Christ is still building the church. He is still active. He may be gone when he ascended into heaven and said he will be coming back, but the Spirit and he is here. Yeah. And that is what you see working through the apostles in the book of Acts. It's Jesus building the church 
through his apostles. What do you say about that? No, Christian? that's well said. I, I, I agree with that uh, for sure. It's it's a good way to look at it for sure because you're right. John ends and then it's all of a sudden it's, you know, it's just the Holy Spirit, which yes, it is the Holy Spirit, but it's still Christ. It's still God working uh, within the apostles' lives to continue the church, to continue building the church. Absolutely. So let's set some context before we go into chapter 8. At this point in, in the scripture that we're going to read, and it's from, um, what verse did I say? I think you said From 9, 9 through 24. Yeah. What's happened, okay? Well, in a previous chapter, Stephen was martyred. Um, he basically has spoken out against the the the, the religion in in uh, the religious people in um, Jerusalem, and they stoned him for it. And guess who was there holding the coats, making sure that they killed him? Saul. Saul of Tarsus, which is an interesting episode to have, and, yeah, and yeah. an interesting perspective to have on Paul, because our last episode, uh, joy in the midst of suffering. I mean, Paul was the pastor of pastors. Yeah. Here, he's a killer. He is a killer. So this is really early on in the church, even before the conversion of, of Paul. So, you know, you've got Steve. He puts up a defense, a very good defense, where he exposits just exactly why Christ came. I mean, he gives him right in between the nose, but then they martyr him. They kill him. And, and Paul, and I'll just read just the first few uh, verses of chapter 8 just to give you an example of where Paul, here named Saul, where his head is at where all this. Now, in chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Now Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death, and that's Stephen. Okay? He was in hearty agreement, Christian. The guy was okay with the, everyone stoning him. That's wild. And if you go back and you read, he was holding the coats. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Now, that's important to stop right there because that's exactly where, we at, where we're at in this, in this part of the story. A great persecution has started, and the church that started in Jerusalem is now starting to get dispersed in large part because they're running for their lives. Because look at the kind of stuff that Paul is doing, verse 3. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women. He was delivering them into prison. That scattered the church. Okay, what happened in Jerusalem when the day of Pentecost came and the Spirit of God came to the disciples and to the apostles and and people uh, were saved. Peter put on this great sermon and, and, and many were coming to the Lord. That caused a stir and it caused persecution so much so that Saul of Tarsus is going door to door dragging Christians out of their homes and putting them in jail. Yeah, that's wild to to think of, to look at Paul in that light before he came to Christ. You're like, wait a minute. This is the Paul that wrote most of the New Testament, and he's doing what? Wild. It is wild. It is wild. But it's a perspective that glorifies the Scriptures, and it glorifies the power of Christ. In changing a person's life. It's very true. Salvation is, is, is proof of salvation in, in Paul's life, okay, is look at the transformation in his life. It's no wonder that when it word got around in the church that Paul was a believer, people were like, nah, no way. 
Yeah, that's This is the so guy who was going around from door to door dragging us by our skulls. Yep. And taking us off to jail. So you could see where some of that skepticism was at. But yeah, that's an interesting perspective. But that's the power of Christ. That's the power of salvation. So what salvation is not, I think this, what happens here in the chapter 8 is a good example uh, when we look at what Philip is doing in Samaria. Philip is one of the apostles, and he's in this dispersion coming from this persecution. Philip, who's a, a, a disciple, and apostle of Christ, he has a heart for evangelism, apparently, because he disperses into Samaria, which, by the way, Samaritans were not friendly to the Jews. You know they did not get along. Right. Okay? And he disperses into Samaria to preach the gospel. You kind of see that, too, when he was speaking, when Jesus was speaking at the woman at the well. He's like, what? Why is Jesus speaking to that woman who's a Samaritan? So let's pick it up on, on, on verse 9 and let's read through 24. Now there was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astounding the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from the smallest to the greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, This man is what is called a great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astounded him with the magic arts. But when they believed Philip proclaiming the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip, and he observed the signs and great miracles taking place. He was constantly astounded. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, he came, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, for he had not yet, for he had not yet falling, he meaning the Holy Spirit, had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord, of Lord Jesus. Then they began <clears throat> laying their hands, excuse me, laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now this is, now that uh, uh, Peter and John have arrived, this is a kind of a transition midway through this reading. Verse 18, now when Simon saw that the Spirit had been bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you suppose you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours, and pray earnestly, to the Lord, that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of unrighteousness. But Simon answered and said, Play earnestly to the Lord for me yourself, so that nothing what you have said may come upon me. So what we're reading there basically is that Philip is going through Samaria and people are being saved. There, as a matter of fact, if you just go look in verse 7, it says, For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lamed were healed, so that there was a great joy verse 8. And then the verse 9 is where Simon starts taking notice. 
Okay. Now we have to put a little context around who this Simon guy was. Okay. Simon was a sorcerer. And for some reason, I think about when it talks about the practicing of magic in those biblical days. I keep thinking back to the movie Ten Commandments when they throw down the staffs and they turn into snakes and stuff oh, like yeah, that. Yeah. That Pharaoh's guys throw down their staffs. They throw. They become snakes, and then Moses throws. Um, well, Aaron throws down Moses' staff, and it becomes a snake, and it swallows the others. I don't know why that comes into my mind, but what's important about that flashback for me in my head, it just it it just kind of cements the fact in my mind that, you know. The guys in Egypt had some kind of power. Right. They were doing these weird miracles, obviously not the power of God. So there's definitely a dark element here. And it's been happening for a long time because that, that was back, what, how many years ago? So it was still happening then and it's happening now. Right. Now, sorcerers are like magicians. But what power are they calling upon to right. do these magic things? Because the, the text is clear that, that Simon, okay, uh, it says uh, Simon was a guy who was going about doing this thing in this region for a long time. Okay, he was doing that stuff for a long time. Just what he was doing using whatever black magic he was using. I mean, this is, it says it in verse 10, right? Go ahead and read that, Christian. And they all from smallest to greatest were giving attention to him saying, this man is what is called the great power of God. So we're not talking about some lightweight in the area, okay, that is not known. This guy is very well known, Simon the Sorcerer. Sometimes he's referred to as Simon Magus of Simon of Gita, okay? Ooh, interesting. Yeah, he basically is a, uh, he appears here in Samaria. He's a minor figure in the New Testament, but he also appears, interestingly enough, in historical Gnostic texts. Interesting. So, you know, they, there's, don't know how much of that text is reliable, but he's mentioned enough that there's a belief that this Simon the Sorcerer guy is one of the guys who may have been one of the guys who started this whole Gnostic movement, which we've tackled yeah. in the epistles of John. This this philosophy, this theology that was out there, he's one of the guys who propagated, maybe even started this stuff back in those days. Wow. That's not entirely clear, but there's some historical hints that because he does appear in a lot of these texts that he was part of that whole movement, which gave the church a lot of grief. This is Gnostic thinking was one of the things that gave, you know, the uh, uh, people a lot of grief back in the early church. But what's happening here is Philip is making some headway with the gospel. This demons are just rushing out of people and screaming on their way out. And Simon is saying, oh, man, look at this. And guess what? He becomes a believer. Wow. I mean, who wouldn't want to turn a soul like that? At least that's what Philip thought. And not only that, too, he's probably looking at what these guys are doing. as like, wow, they're doing mightier works than I am, and I kind of want to do what they're doing. Yeah, verse 13 says it. Even Simon himself believed after watching for a long time, back on verse 11, after having been baptized. So not only did he say, hey, I believe this gospel that you're preaching, this good news of the kingdom and of Jesus Christ, but baptize me too. Okay? I mean, this is a guy, if you want to grab somebody and turn him around in a region who is doing witchcraft and the black arts and you turn him around and the whole region knows this, it really is no surprise to me that, 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 that Philip was doing as well as he did. Right. Because he astounded this guy 
And this guy probably had a following in its in himself. Which you mentioned something about Moses when Moses was before Pharaoh, and the those magicians were doing those those uh, tricks. So um, it was after I think the third plague that uh, that Moses did, where these men who were magicians saying, "Certainly, this is the finger of God upon this man." It's like, okay, we can't go any further than what he's doing right now. So in this case. Uh, Simon's probably like, dude, what you guys are doing is beyond me, beyond what I could ever do. Even the black arts that he was practicing. Right, right, right. Yeah, it definitely caught his attention, which goes to a very important detail and a very important thing to remember when you're reading the, the, the book of Acts. And Christian, you'll chime right in if you need to. The apostles were being used by Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit to authenticate what had happened in Jerusalem. Remember, in Jerusalem, Jesus was crucified. He resurrected. And then on the day of Pentecost, people were coming in droves to Christ, especially on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was you can physically see that something was happening because people were speaking in other languages. That's what the tongues is all about. Everyone was understanding what everyone was saying after the Spirit of God had descended on them. This is the dynamic that exists in the church. This is what's being heard of what's happening in Jerusalem. And Philip is outside of Jerusalem, and it appears to me, Okay, though the text is not very specifically clear about that, it appears to me certainly the miracles are because we read that, okay, the demons are coming out and people are being healed. But who knows if the same dynamic that happened in Jerusalem where the Holy Spirit is descending on people and people are speaking, that may be happening too where they're speaking in tongues, that the Spirit may be manifesting itself in the same way that it manifested itself in, in the Church of Jerusalem. It's very, very possible. And I think that's what's drawing a lot of attention here. Okay? I think that's what's drawing a lot of attention. And you see that too within, after the apostles died, even in the early church, I mean, people wanted to hear from the people from the people who were closest to Jesus. I mean, you have Jesus who does all these miracles, right? And they're like, whoa, this guy, is. there's something, even Jesus says, if you don't believe in me, at least believe in the works that I do that testify to me, to, to you who I am. So even through that, it's like, believe in the works because they just testify of who I am. And so after Jesus ascends, leaving the Holy Spirit to the apostles, it's like he's using them to continue continue his work on building the church. And I love that you said that because it emphasizes the the, the perspective that I want to make sure our listeners are understanding. It is Jesus. Right, It right. is still Jesus doing what he does. And that is the book of Acts. I mean, come on. How dope is that? How dope <laughs> is that that Jesus can be like, okay, I'm going to ascend into heaven, but I'm still here. He's like at two places at one time. You know, got, got, here's, I'm going to send you the helper, the Holy Spirit. That's what he said. That's wild. And guess what? He's doing it. Okay. Remember, Christ said, I will build the church. And he's doing it. And he's doing it through these men. Right. And he's authenticating these men as being his spokesmen. Okay. Remember, these men are later on going to be the authorities of the church, not only as elders and as the apostles, but many of them are going to go on to, 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 to you know, testify. And that's, those, tes- those testimonies will be documented. The New Testament is going to come out of this group of apostles. Right. What they're doing is going to be documented. Paul certainly, okay, documents a lot of what he did. 
okay? And a lot of the letters that we see in the New Testament document what these men were doing. And when they did things, they didn't do it like Simon was doing it with the black arts. Look at what I can do. I'm almost right, like a god. Right. These men were doing it with the power of Christ and giving him all the, all the, all the praise and all the glory. I mean, we see that in other places in the New Testament. When Peter was healing, it's not me that heals. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that this person is healed. That's how it was. Christ is alive and present. And his ministry in the book of Acts, people, continues. His ministry does not stop at the book of John. It continues beyond the four Gospels. Jesus is building the church, and we're really at the early stages here. So this Simon cat, okay, he sees all this and he goes, wow, yeah, I want to be part of this, okay? Philip has no suspicion at all that this guy is, is not genuine, okay, as we find out later in the chapter, okay? And it says in, in, chapter, in uh, verse 14, now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard in, that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John, now the heavy hitters are coming, <laughs> Peter and John. Right, and who yeah. you, Peter, you know who he is and yep. how he is, and then you've got John. Okay, so the heavy hitters are coming in and say, wow, there's something happening out here. And that makes sense because remember, that where is the church based out of? Jerusalem. Right. That's where it all started. That's where the authority of the church is. And if it's starting to spread throughout this persecution, guess what? They're heading out to authenticate that what's happening is real. That's their responsibility. Right, right. This is what the um, this is what's so important about these leaders in the church, these apostles. They followed where the gospel went, and they authenticated. Hey, this is real, and I would imagine that's why they're heading out there. They're getting the buzz, and they're seeing what's going on. Especially when a dude like this turns around, that must have got people's attention. And John and and Peter are like, we got to go check this out. And guess what? They go. But by the time they show up, okay. And you get uh, Simon in verse 18 saying, Now when Simon saw that the Spirit had been bestowed, bestowed through the laying of the apostles' hands, he turns around and says, Give me this authority as well, verse 19, so that everyone who might lay my hands can have the Holy Spirit. And he does it because he, wants it, he offered them money. He wanted this power and then offered Peter money for it. Yo, Peter's the wrong person <laughs> to be offering money. <laughs> he will set you straight. <laughs> he will set you straight. I mean, he even told Jesus, like, I'll go. And then Jesus, uh, I'll go with you and I'll fight for you. And Jesus like, get, get thee behind me, Satan. So he's ready to, like, fight. And, and don't forget, they've already seen with Judas turning on the Lord because of money, 30 pieces of silver. Yeah. Okay, so here this dude shows up and says, yo, man, if you give me money, I want to do this. I'll, I'll give you money. I want that power. And what does Peter tell him? Right, verse 20 there. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you suppose that you can obtain the gift of God with money. Now, this is where we get into. I right, can see your right. poise to say something. Go right yeah, ahead. Yeah, because be, the, when you read that uh, verse 19, Simon is literally saying, give me, th give this authority to me as well, so that everyone whom I may lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. And it's like, if you really think about it, the apostles don't have the authority to give this gift to anyone. Whose authority is it to give? The Holy Spirit. It's the Christ, Christ. that we keep on talking about. It's the right. builder of the church. Right. And you're going right. to give him some cash so he can get you to do it too? He's way off base. And think about this. Think about this. When Jesus chose the disciples, did they ask to be chosen? No, he said, I chose you. Jesus told them, I have chosen you. He says, you're going to be fisher of men. And they had, that's it. I mean, he, when he looked at Matthew in the, in, the, in the tax booth, he's like, 
follow me. Like, it's like you have no choice. It's like, you're going to follow him. I mean, you got, you got Jesus, the son of God, looking into your eyes and saying, follow me, and then gives you the authority to do these things. I mean, the authority is Jesus having to give this to you. So why is this so important for us when we say that this is what salvation is not? Okay. And I'll be honest with you, when I look at Simon and I look at the story, I see someone who thinks that salvation is something that he's done in the past, you know, some past event, you know. I'll just share a little bit of my story. Uh, I remember the day I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. After raising my hands many times in church, my pastor came to me and said, Hey, Alex, we need to talk. And he needed to set at me straight because I kept on raising my hand to receive Christ. And he came to my living room one day and gave me the gospel and spelled it out for me in Scripture. And I received my uh, the Lord as my Savior that day in my living room. And that's my past event. I can, I can tell you when I was 21 when I made that profession of faith. So when I look in my life, Okay, and I say, when was I saved? That was the event in my life. That's the point in my life that it changed for me completely. Hmm. Okay, it's interesting that Philip, okay, converts this guy and baptizes him, and he doesn't know that he's genuine or not, which is kind of a relief to me because we bring people to Christ and you don't know. That's so true. Okay, and if Philip the apostle don't know, that kind of makes me a little feel better. It, it, it concretes and it sets a, in concrete in my heart the fact that only God knows whether someone's true and sincere. But Simon clearly was looking past, all, looking at all this and seeing what's going on, wanting to be part of it, that he raised his hand to receive Christ. Right. Not only that, but he said, baptize me. So Philip said, I got this, dude. Yeah, that's interesting. This is a big fish, and I bagged him. <laughs> so here's a guy looking at a past event in his life, and he's saying, yeah, I'm saved. Now, how many people are like that? And that's the question. That's very, very true. Because clearly in Simon's life, okay, that's not being saved, okay? Now, I look at my life, and I can tell you, okay, just exactly when I was saved. It was in 1991, okay, right in my living room. Okay, there is a lot of people and it's very common to grow up in a church and some people come to know the Lord and they don't know when it was. They just kind of believe and understand and come to the Lord kind right, of right. In, in a progression. You know, it just happens. And I know there's people out there listening, especially if you've grown up in the church, that that's your story. I can't tell you exactly when I came to the Lord. I just know that I believe. Interesting. Yeah, so yeah. a past event, okay, is not salvation. Okay, and, and the reason that's so important is because there are churches out there that they will, you know, have an altar call or have you fill out a card and they'll collect them at the end of the week, at the end of the weekend, and then announce the very next weekend, hey, we had a hundred people come to the Lord. Yep, did, yep. Did, they, did they really just because you got a card or were they a Simon? You understand what I'm, I'm getting no, at? No, I understand that. What's interesting about that, like that perspective of like, it's almost like they're they're confirming that you are saved or you have the Holy Spirit or you have a, a relationship with God. Number one, man doesn't confirm if you have a relationship with God. The Holy Spirit does. And, you know, I always 
ask people this like it's great to ask people like oh when did you come to christ because like you said there's some people who can tell you when they came to christ like me i i can say september um september of 2020 i i god had truly changed my life through the scripture and understanding and my life hasn't been the same since right so when i talk to somebody and i ask them about their situation uh and or their testimony and how they came to christ that's great and all but the true question is what does your life look like now because you know salvation like you said is not based on a past event but on your present circumstances so for forget about an event what does your relationship with christ look like now and matthew 10 uh 22 jesus even says and you will be hated by all because of my name but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved i'm going to borrow something that rc sproul said he says i can follow uh, a person can follow christ for five minutes five months or five years but it's the one who endures to the end that will be saved I mean, you got people who who say like they're Christians, right? And and they'll follow Christ, and then all of a sudden something happens and they fall away. Is that evidence because of a past event? Because they prayed some sort of prayer that they're genuinely saved? Why why, why does do you see that happening? It's because you're right. An event, a past event, doesn't declare that you're saved. It is not definite proof that a person is right, a true believer. Right. Okay. It's wonderful milestone and you follow that person up, if you bring someone to the Lord and they give their heart to Christ, the next thing to do is put them right in the scriptures. Right. That is what is gonna cement that person in what they've believed, okay? One thing that's missing throughout this whole story is we see no acknowledgement on Simon's part of any sin. There is no question in my mind that Philip's presentation of the gospel must have been awesome. Right, Because right. people were turning and demons were running. I mean, they were running away, screaming running. Philip's presentation is of the gospel cannot be the problem here. It's this heart of this man. Right. He's not acknowledging his own sin, and he's looking for an opportunity, okay, to not worship God, but worship himself. Right, because right. Because we already read in verse 10 that people see him as a god, people who've been following him in the black arts. So if he's truly saved and really has been truly converted, then we should see a changed life. But Correct. what do we see him do instead? Go in his pocket and try to buy what the apostle Yo, had. Give me what you have. He's, I got some change. I got some silver. What's, what's, uh, to add on to that, Jesus came preaching what? Repent and believe in the gospel. And a lot of the times, you know, people will say, just believe. And that's true. But, you know, there's, there's a deeper meaning to belief in there. And repentance and belief are the same coin. They're the same they're the same coin, just different sides of the same coin. So you can't have belief without repentance and you can't have repentance without belief. So if Jesus was preaching that when he started his ministry, repent and believe in the gospel. And so was John. And so was John. What makes us think that just believing, there's no acknowledgement of sin, and even Paul talks about this, that if I had not known about the law, uh, that sin wouldn't have, I'm butchering this, but if it wasn't for the law, I wouldn't have a knowledge of sin. 
Amen. So you have to understand sin and what you're being saved from. And we don't see this with Simon. No. We don't see repentance here. No. We don't see a guy, you know, rejecting the black arts. Right, right, right. You know, he's ready to throw down the staff and turn it into a snake if that's what he was doing or even more. Who knows? Okay, that kind of stuff exists and probably still exists. And it's interesting because he's uh, focusing more on the power instead of the salvation aspect. If you really look at it, because he's like, I want to do what you're doing instead of focusing on like, how do I get saved? He's not a heart that came to the end of himself. Salvation is not someone who doesn't admit their sin and then get regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And then evidence of that salvation is a transformed life. He had ulterior motives. Right. And that was to, well, spend a little money and maybe make a little money. Who knows? I don't know if in the black arts, these guys went ahead and taken money from people. I don't know. But maybe that was in his heart. But Peter tells, tells him, you have no portion or part in this matter. Verse 21, for your heart is not right before God. Okay. So if he were truly saved, okay, it's, he thought he was because he got baptized. Right. He accepted right. the Lord as a savior, but yet he was not he was still doing things in unrighteousness, okay? His heart was still not right before God, okay? He didn't want to worship the true God. He wanted to worship himself and the life that he wanted to make for himself with this newfound power. Therefore, repent, verse 22, of this wickedness of yours and pray earnestly that the Lord, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. So Peter even highlights it right here. Dude, you haven't even acknowledged your own sin in your life. And that's manifested itself very plainly here if you come into me and saying that you want this power with money. And even taking it from apostle, like, come on, like there's sometimes where the gospel is, you know, preached and, and no one's talking about repentance. It's all about just believe, believe, believe. Like, yes, that's true, but you're missing the, the idea of repentance here. That's so important genuine repentance and and this is a problem in in the modern evangelical churches we've got churches that are huge out there that are bringing people to jesus every week how genuine are some of those people because i can tell you because i've i've started my ministry in one of those churches and this is how i learned that they're wrong about what they do because they're it's about counting numbers reporting how many people we saved how many cards we collected but no one follows up with these folks to see if it's genuine or not it's about drawing people in not speaking to their sin yeah. And telling them they have to repent, just that you need Jesus, you need Jesus, you need Jesus, you need Jesus. So there's a lot of people walking around out there saying, I've got Jesus, but they haven't addressed what Simon hasn't addressed here. Which is true. We do need Jesus. But why do we need Jesus? No one ever talks about the why. It's like, you need Jesus. That's great. But why? Yeah. And this is a good place to stop right here. But I thought this was a good example of what salvation is not when you can look back in your life and say, OK, but I've already done that. Um, was it real? Was it a true conversion? What is it that you thought you did? OK. And that's something to be careful about. Right. And are you bearing fruit in your life now? OK, forget about the past event right now. Is there fruit in your life that shows evidence that you are truly saved? Right, talking about our new podcast. Yeah. Evidence of truth in your life is a transformed life. Amen. And let's leave it right there and let's take a quick break and we'll come right back. We are privileged and excited that you joined us today. Please remember to visit our episode notes. They contain links to scripture, any information we reference during the show, 
and a link to join our mailing list to receive the latest show news and updates. If you want to send us your questions, provide feedback, or submit an idea for a future episode, we want to hear from you. Just use the Join the Conversation link provided to contact us. Want to get to know us better? Then we encourage you to use the Core Truth Media link provided in our episode notes to visit our coretruthmedia.org homepage. You can connect with us via social networks from that page and explore the diverse range of podcasts and high-quality content our ministry offers to those seeking to deepen their understanding of the Bible and grow in their faith. Finally, we invite you to help us communicate God's truth throughout the globe. Anyone can listen to this show for free everywhere podcasts are available. Click the listen and follow link in our episode notes and share it with your friends and family. You'll be glad you did. We appreciate your support. Now let's get back to our show. All right, welcome back, folks. Welcome, welcome back. Before we leave chapter 8, Christian, I want to just cover the other half of this chapter because one of the things that's interesting, and this will be homework for our listeners, <laughs> is that you know we've presented the first half of this chapter, Christian, and it talks about a person who thought he was saved and was deceived. I, I like the phrase self-deceived. Ooh, that's he was, good. He was self-deceived into thinking that he was saved. He didn't get the theology right. He didn't get the gospel right. He had his own motives in mind, not God's motives in mind. So this is someone who was self-deceived. The other side of that, from 25 all the way to 40, the rest of that chapter is about an Ethiopian eunuch that God sends, that, that Christ sends Philip to minister to, and this guy just happens to be going down the road, coming back from Jerusalem, reading the book of Isaiah, where he's where it says in verse 32 here, a sheep is led to slaughter and a lamb before its shearer is silent. She does he so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation his judgment was taken away. Who will recount for his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. And then the eunuch answers Philip and said, I ask you earnestly, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or someone else? I mean, man, how many of you guys would like to run across a guy reading the Bible and come to you and say, hey, can you explain to me who they're talking about Talk here? Talk about divine appointment. <laughs> <laughs> and he, Philip appeared out of nowhere to, you know, to share the gospel with this guy. But it's actually a mirror to Simon, a person who thought salvation was one thing and it was not. Here's a guy who's searching the scriptures and he is looking for understanding. And here comes Philip along and God, Christ sends him divinely and he opens up his understanding of the scriptures. So it's really that chapter is finish it off, folks, and finish reading it from 25 on, because it really is a mirror of what happens in the first part of, of the chapter when Simon is self-deceived to the Ethiopian who becomes sincerely saved and ultimately says, hey, I want to get baptized. There's some water right there. Let's do it. <laughs> so God lined everything up. The guy's reading the Bible. The water's right there. Yep, everything's, yep. everything's ready. It's a great story, folks. So go ahead and read it. But for now, let's go into Matthew and let's go to Matthew 19. Okay, we've talked about a person who thinks that salvation is something they've done in the past, some event in their past that says, hey, I'm saved, and how that could be something that people can be deceived about. We're going to read about the rich young ruler, okay? From verses 16 through 26 of Matthew, we're going to read that text. I'm going to dig into that because this is someone who basically is, 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 thinks he's saved or at least looking for answers on whether he's got eternal life or not because he's been living a moral and ethical life. Ooh. So, I mean, he's thinking, I've got to be saved. 
Let me just confirm it with this teacher. So let's read on before I spoil it. Verse 16, Matthew 16 through 26. And behold, someone came to him and said, Teacher, what, sh what thing shall I do? Wait, wait, wait. What good thing? What good thing? Sorry. What good thing shall I do? that I may have eternal life. It's interesting. Think back of Nicodemus when I listened to that question. Now, this is the rich young ruler coming to him. Verse 17, and he said to him, why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? Jesus said, If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have the treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away, grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said to them, with people, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So here is a guy okay, that approaches Christ, okay, and he says to him, first of all, good teacher. And we know that Christ is good. He was the sinless one. But it's interesting that he says in verse 17, why are you asking me about what is good? There's only one that's good, okay? What point is he making there? He's pointing to God. He's Amen. pointing to God's holiness, okay, because obviously that's a problem with this guy. Okay, and we'll see later on why. Okay, but if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, which ones? And he goes through a few of them. And as a matter of fact, if I remember correctly, these are the latter part of the Ten Commandments. He doesn't give them the ones that you should love your God with all your heart. Right, right, right. He goes through the ones that, that, that he does. And only Jesus knows the reason why. He knows his heart. Maybe that's uh, he, he, those are the ones that he needed to hear because God knows divinely those things. And what does the young man say in verse 20? The young man said to him, all these things I have kept. What are you still lacking? So there is right, right, right there. There's something wrong with the theology. Yeah, very, very wrong. Because he's basically saying, I've done all these things already. Really? Have you? Have you really? You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. Now, it's interesting because Jews know these laws. And Jesus himself said, I did not come to do away with the laws. I came to fulfill them. And in fact, Jesus took them to the next level, because if you look at the law of adultery, okay, he said, not just committing adultery. If you look at a woman, that's adultery. So he actually took the law to even the next level. Right. Okay. Right. So talk about they knew that they had to be holy. They knew that these these uh, commandments could not be kept. That's why you were sacrificing bulls and goats. Yeah. Because no man was holy. No one was good. Okay. Only God was good. And we go back to that in the beginning verses. Why do you say I am good? So right away, the kid is, the, I say kid, but is a young ruler. The, right away, he's, his, his thought process is askewed. 
He's thinking, all right, he's thinking I'm good and he's thinking that he's good. This guy is not acknowledging his sin in his life. Right. Because he thinks that he's going through the Old Testament and everything he's right on about. Not only is that arrogant, but it's wrong. It's actually wrong because no one can keep the law. No one can keep the law. So here's a person who's probably living a good, wholesome life, has a moral and ethical system that he's living by, and he seems to be just checking off all his boxes and saying, yep, I'm good on that one. I'm good on that one. There is no way that you can be saved. Salvation is not doing good works. No. Salvation is not keeping the law. The law serves to condemn you. It shows you what your sin is. That Correct. was the purpose of the law. And the fact that you had to go to a temple and sacrifice bulls and goats for yourself and every year for the nation as a whole is because the sin had to be paid and no one can pay it. Or you can just sacrifice a bull and goat and you're done and you just walk on your way and you're good. So when he says, what am I is lacking? Let me. What's lacking in my life? I got to tell you, that's that blows me away. It blows me away. And and. It, it seems contrary to how we share the gospel, too. Someone comes to you yeah. and says, hey, what do I do to get to heaven? Well, right away, we're like, hey, listen, you, you, you got to know about Jesus. You got to understand what our sinful condition is. You got to acknowledge that we're sinful before a holy God. And you've got to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. And we'll go through the gospel. We'll explain to someone who Jesus is. And we'll open up the scriptures and try to open up someone's understanding of scripture. Jesus doesn't do that. He throws law at him. Have you done this? Yeah. Have you done that? Right. Have you done this? Have you done that? I mean, if he was standing, if someone standing next to me was doing something like that with someone who wants to enter into heaven, I would have been, oh, that's the wrong message. (laughs) (laughs) What are you doing? Tell them to keep the law. That's 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 not the gospel. But Jesus has an intention here. Right. Right. He's divine and he knows the man's heart. There's a deeper problem that he's bringing out from this from this young ruler and he's exposing him for what he lacks, okay, which is an understanding of the theology of, of, of salvation, okay, because salvation is not works, because he says he's doing all these things, but yet he's falling short. And look at how he responds, okay? I'm, actually, Jesus tells him, after he says, I've done all these things and I'm still lacking, Jesus says, okay, verse 21, if you wish to be complete, go and sell all your stuff. Give it all the way to the poor. And follow me. Okay? You know what's so interesting about this? Jesus is saying, you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. If you do these things, if you wish to be complete, go and sell. I mean, does he? Does Jesus really have to go through all of the law? I mean, you, the first is like, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, right? And don't have any idols before. I mean, this guy was definitely holding idols before himself, his possessions, were his idols in his life. Great point. You know what I'm saying? So Jesus is kind of like sidestepping that because he's like, okay, like that's fine. Like I know that already, but let me talk about the second half of uh, of of the, uh, the the Ten Commandments. And even even Paul says it. He says, um, he talks about uh, what then? Romans three nine. What then? Are we better? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. Because of the law, you sin, you break one law, you're guilty of breaking the all of the law. Ephesians 2.8 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith and Amen. not of yourselves. Salvation is a gift of God. It's not something that you can do. 
Mm-hmm. And this young man had it twisted, dude. He had it twisted. Luke 14, 33 says, and, and it's this is an interesting verse because it's a difficult verse to understand, but this, this passage that we're reading opens it up for me. It says, Luke 14, 33, it says, So then, this is Jesus talking, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Mm. So the principle here is that to walk with Christ, you got to give it all up. Right. You got to give it all up. In this young ruler's case, he had many material possessions, but that's not always the case with everybody. What is it that you have to give up? Okay, because just doing good and hoping you're doing more good than evil is gambling with your eternity. It's very, very okay? true. Okay, let me do more good than I than bad, and hopefully that's enough to get into heaven. We've all heard that. Yo, plenty of times when I uh, when I talk to uh, unbelievers and I share the gospel with them, you know, one of the uh, a few questions that I've asked them is like, do you believe in God? And, you know, the, it's funny, the response that I get from that is like, yeah, I go to church. I was like, okay, so going to church is evidence that you believe in God or that you have a relationship with God. Um, and one of the other questions I ask is, do you think you'll enter heaven when you die? And the next question, the answer to that is usually, yeah, I'm a good person. And what's interesting is I get the most pushback when it comes to God's judgment and hell as a consequence. Um, it's usually justified in the eyes of someone who is guilty and that doesn't understand the grace of God with, I do good things. I help the poor. I donate. I do this. I do that. And it's interesting because you will either be judged with your righteousness or Christ's righteousness. But in any regard, God will judge the world in righteousness. Acts 17, 31 says God will judge the world in righteousness. So if it's your own righteousness, just know that it's considered a righteousness that looks and smells like a filthy rag. So try burning your own righteousness as an incense to God. You burn strange fire to God, just like the sons of Aaron's did. But if it's Christ's righteousness, it would be a righteousness that is pleasing to God. Isaiah 53, 10 through 11 says, God was pleased to crush Christ. He was satisfied to see the anguish of his soul. So we receive righteousness from God. We don't offer God our righteousness, you know? So it's it's a lot, it, when, you know, when you're having those conversations with people who, you know, you want to share the gospel with, you'll always get pushback of like, this is what I do to get into the kingdom of heaven. I mean, when you stand before God, you are never, like, you're never going to stand before God and be like, look what I did. Look at what I did as my reward. No, when you stand before God, it's like, you know, um, you're never going to boast about yourself before God. As a matter of fact, you hear this with Isaiah. Isaiah says, woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips. You hear Peter, you know, going before Jesus and saying, you know, um, Forgive me, for I'm a, uh, I'm a sinful man. Depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. There's an acknowledgement of their own sin. Yeah, Peter said, don't just clean my feet, clean all of me. Right, because there's, there's a part of you that when you truly stand before God, you're going to see how holy he is and how filthy you are. And you're going to plead for mercy on God you know, to forgive you of your sin. And so that's why I love what John says when John comes in, when Jesus comes in and John sees Jesus 
for for one, for the first time, he says, "Behold, the Lamb of God." Hey Amen. I love that. I do too. Well, he's making the same mistake that Simon is making. He's not acknowledging his sin. He's not acknowledging him sin before our yeah. holy God, which is why I think the whole back and forth about who, who do you, why do you say I'm good? You know, that whole conversation is all about because he had that thinking all wrong. Right. He right. thought he was doing good. And, you know, there's a lot of motivations for people to do what they do. I mean, it could be guilt. You know, a lot of people That's are motivated true. to live by some kind of ethical code because of guilt, pride, some life choices that, that require their effort, their own human effort to live these moral lives. And some people think that's enough. Some people think that's enough. If I do these things, that should get me there. But how many times, Christian, have you asked people, do you think you're going to heaven? I hope so. Dude, I've I wish had I had so five dollars com- every yeah. time somebody said I hope so. I've had so many conversations with people say that that what I dollar? hope so. Or you know, you know, it's it's so it's so interesting because the conversations that I've had with people that say I hope so are obviously you know s- certain unbelievers, but also you know uh, people that are part of cults like Jehovah's Witness, Mormons. Um, you know, and also, um, you know, you have people who are legalistic in an aspect that think that certain things like um, will get you into heaven, like doing certain things. But you see a lot of that legalism it kind of married with cults like Jehovah's Witness. Um, and they think living a moral life leads to like, you know, a, a reward. And um it's always based off of strict works. So it's very interesting because for Jehovah's Witness, the Watchtower teaches that baptism is necessary for salvation. It's on their website. And they'll, they'll use scripture to twist it and to turn it. And then you look at a guy who was hanging on a cross right next to Jesus who didn't obey, who, who didn't uh, uh, keep all the commandments, who didn't get baptized, who didn't all, he repented on the cross and said, if you will, remember me when you enter into paradise. He doesn't say, bring me into the paradise. He says, remember me, because he was humbled enough to know, I'm not worthy to enter the kingdom of heaven. This man is, he is, he is not guilty. So just at least remember me. And what does Jesus say? Knowing his heart and knowing the intention of his heart, you know, for this day, you will be with me in paradise. And that's what was missing from the young ruler's heart. Repentance. A real a real recognition of his condition. Now, I've got to give him some credit here. This young ruler was looking for answers. Right. He was looking for how do I get to eternal life? So his curiosity and his, and, and, and I think in the scripture, you can even see the urgency of it, okay? That he comes straight to him asking him right away. And, and this guy was looking for answers but his theology was all wrong he was not recognizing his own sin he was making the same mistake that simon was making thinking that he understood what salvation is and it's not what christ was teaching and it's not what john was teaching and any jew at this time would know because john was teaching the baptist john the baptist was teaching the repentance of sin was the way to prepare the way for the lamb of god he was preparing the way for the messiah by making people acknowledge you are in your sin and need to be delivered from it. Right. And no sacrifice in that temple up the road is going to take it away. But God will provide his own lamb like he did with Abraham and his son Isaac. He showed up with his own lamb and sacrificed his only son for our benefit because we 
can't shake that sin off. We've got to acknowledge it and acknowledge it in Christ. And we've got to acknowledge Christ as our Savior. I mean, Luke 14, 33, this is, this, he didn't want to turn away from He was not willing to give up his possessions. Right. That he was hanging on too much. And this kind of keys into where it says later on. It says, Jesus says, truly I say to you that it's harder for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven. Some people read that and say the rich will never get to heaven. No, that's not true. A rich man who recognizes his sin can surely get to heaven. Nicodemus is one who came before the Lord and says, how do I attain eternal life? And we find out later on in the Gospels that he's one of the guys that showed up with Joseph of Arimathea to get the body of Christ. So he came around and realized, I mean, he was the teacher of Israel. You think he had money? He was one of the leaders of the, of the town. Right. Okay, so there was a rich man that turned around, okay? And there's people with authority that came to the Lord, the Roman soldier, and said, no, you don't have to go to my home. You yeah, can heal right. them from where you're at. Yep. I got people under my authority. I know if they, if I tell them something, they'll do it. All you have to do is just say the word, and my servant is healed. There's a guy with authority, money, okay? So rich people... It's harder because they have so much that they're hanging on to. So much and to give up, too. It's almost like the story, uh, um, the Christmas story, where Ebenezer Scrooge and his partner, and, and you just, his partner shows up to him that night, uh, uh, the, the what is it, the ghost of the Christmas past, and his partner's chained to all those things that he held on to in the world, chest of gold and property. I mean, he was being basically weighed down by all those things that he held so dear in the world, and he was mourning over the fact that those things were so important to him at that time, because he should have known better. And he came to warn his partner, Ebenezer, don't wind up like me. Yeah. You know, and this guy was just not willing to let it go. And it's sad. And we don't know what happened to this young ruler after he walked away. I would hope that he was watching Jesus long enough to come to the same conclusion that the thief on the cross said and say, you know what? I'm not worthy. Okay. Just I want to be in paradise with this man, too. You know, is, is it possible that this rich young ruler could have been uh, when uh, around when Jesus was preaching the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, because Jesus does bring him through all of this. I mean, that's a given. You shall um, not bear false witness. I mean, come on. There's no way, there's no way that you have kept at least that one. Like all of us have lied to some degree, whether it's a white lie or small lie. And how about honor your father and mother? Why throw that one in there? Was there something in his life that he wasn't doing for his parents? I don't know. I'm was he not honoring his father and his mother with his possessions? Yeah. He could have threw a lot harder I mean, commandments at him. He could have. Okay. Lie, steal, adultery, all that stuff. Those, those. I mean, adultery is actually there. But I mean, you know, he, he left out half of the commandments here. Okay, so I don't know why Christ picked on those. Uh, he knows right. the man's heart. But the, the point is that this guy is saying, I'm living a moral life and an ethical life that I think is cool, and I've got this covered, but, you know, does this is this enough for eternal life? And I give him credit for wondering that because something deep inside of him must have said, I don't know, do I got the big picture here? Right. And, and Christ gave it to him and said, okay, sure, just give that stuff away and follow me. I mean, the last one he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself is... It's not selling your possessions and giving it to the poor. Loving his Love, neighbor as himself. Right. Do you really think he's he's doing that one? Come on. 
<laughs> I mean, like, I just think that's so interesting. Just reading this right now, you shall love your neighbors yourself. And then he says, if, okay, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor. You know, there's a story in the gospel of another tax collector that, that actually did the opposite. He gave everything away. Right. And right. he said, I, I'm going to make retribution for all the stuff that I've done as a tax Zacchaeus. collector. That's right. And he, he did the opposite of what this young ruler, that last step that he needed to take, Zacchaeus took it and said, you know what, I'm giving all this stuff up. I got to make this right. Cause, and what was the difference between him and the young ruler? Like he, he understood. Zacchaeus understood. I'm a sinful man. I need to make things right. And the Spirit of God motivated him to just dump everything that was important and follow the Savior. And it's no different than what, what, what Jesus calls us to do today, to follow him. Because when you truly follow Jesus, you are giving up what you uh, what you love uh, from this world. And you're following him and obeying his commandments and obeying what Jesus has to say in his word. So in a sense, you Jesus is always bidding us to follow him. I mean, he says it, uh, pick up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. Like it's it's always about following Christ. And through following Christ, you're going to realize that you're going to be shedding the things that, uh, uh, you know, your pride, your own pride. I think that's why you you fall into those conversations with people who always try to justify themselves with their pride, with their own righteousness, with their own good works, you know, and, and they're not understanding. And, and I love when, when I talk to people and they say, well, yeah, I go to church because it's like a, a beautiful way to be like, okay, you go to church. That's great. Let me help you understand a little more of what it even means to go to church or, or to gather with the saints. Like, what does that even mean? Mm -hmm. You know, because if you don't have a, a relationship with Christ, a true relationship with Christ, how are you going to do what John commands us to do? In, in 1 John, love one another. If you love one another, the, the love of God is in you. How are you going to do that? If you don't have a relationship with Christ and you don't understand what God has done for you through his son, Jesus Christ, and what the, 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 the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Christ even mean. Because, you know, like that's important. If Jesus yeah. didn't rise again, then our sins are still here. Our sins are not forgiven. But the fact that our Lord, our master, um, raises from the dead and is now in heaven proves that God, you know, will save us through his son, Jesus Christ, if we believe and trust in him. Dude, that's another podcast, man. What is salvation? It's it's the gospel and the resurrection is a big part of that. I, yeah. that's, that's another area I'd love to cover. It. <laughs> because without a risen Christ, what do we have? Nothing. I mean, Paul used to press on that too, right? Without the resurrection, we're we're to be pitied more than any other man. Yeah. Let's go to verse twenty-four, uh, okay? Because I know a lot of people struggle, and I've heard so many different oh, yeah. interpretations of this verse. And it says, verse twenty-four. Jesus says, "This is after he tells him, truly, I said to you, in verse twenty-three, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's an impossibility, okay? And he emphasizes it." He's basically saying it's difficult. I'm sorry. He's not saying it's impossible. He's saying it's difficult. Okay. It's hard. Then he says in 4, 24, and again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I mean, anyone listening to that, there's just no way that you're going to get a camel through an eye of a needle.
Okay, and, and and frankly, I think what Jesus is saying here, I think this is what the scripture is saying. Okay, it's hard for rich people to let these material things go, like this young ruler, because that is the right. context of what we're talking about here. This young ruler turned his back and grieved over the fact that he had to give all this stuff up. And Jesus says and turns to his people and says, "Look, this is going to be hard, but as I read before, you've got to give it all up." if you're going to follow Christ, okay? And then he makes it even harder by saying a camel going through an eye of a needle. Who can do that? Which is why you hear in verse 25, the disciples heard this and they're astonished. Then who can be saved? Because nobody can get a camel through the eye of a needle. It's an impossibility. But then there's the answer in verse 26. And looking at them, Jesus said with people, this is impossible. But with God... All things are possible. Pressing the fact that salvation is not a work of man. It is a work of God. Amen. There's nothing you can do. And what seems impossible for man is not impossible for God. Because God can use his word and move a heart. Look at what he did to Paul. Transformed them from that killer that we just read in chapter 8 to a man who was the pastor of pastors. Yep. And look at the sacrifice that he, look at what he laid on the line for the church. That would have been impossible if Paul tried to do that himself. And Paul did. He was the Pharisees of Pharisees. Yeah. Yeah. But he couldn't do it. It took coming to Christ and leaving it all and leave, putting it all on the line. It's I love the way that that chap that chapter ends, because what's impossible for men is not impossible for God. And that is such an encouragement. It really is. okay. I love that 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 example right there. This is a great chapter. right? I think we covered it pretty well. There are some other things that are not okay. that salvation is not that I want to cover. Is the knowledge of truth enough to save? It's just knowing the gospel, knowing that there's a God, knowing that that Jesus Christ died for your sins. Is that enough? Because many saw all Christ and what he did, and still they did not believe him. They received the knowledge of salvation, but they have not manifested the evidence of a transformed life that delivered them from the sin and death. You must genuinely repent and believe, okay? And that's important because if we go to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 through 8, okay? I'm going to read just a little bit of this here. And it says in Hebrews 6, um, verse 1 through 8, it says, Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about Christ, this is a warning against falling away, let us press on to maturity, Okay, not laying, uh, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works. Okay, we talked about the works and faith towards God of teaching about washings and laying of hands and resurrection of the dead. And this we will do if God permits. For in the case, once having been enlightened and having tasted the heavenly gift and having become partakers of the Holy Spirit and having tested, verse 5, the good word and of God and the powers of the age to come and having falling away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance. Since then again, cr- they crucify themselves, uh, crucify to themselves the son of God and put him to open shame. And what Hebrews is communicating there is that there's a danger in coming to the faith. Okay. And then falling away. Okay. And not getting it. Okay. Because 
you basically are crucifying Christ again, okay? To, in order to come back to the faith, you have to crucify God, uh, Christ again. This is a person who basically says, I'm saved, but then they commit another sin, and they're raising their hand again because right, Christ right, needs to be crucified right. again for that one sin that he forgot when he said it was finished. You know what I'm saying? So the knowledge of the truth is not enough to save, okay? It has to be a transformed life. Because even the, even, you know, even the devil knows the gospel, but he doesn't believe it. Right. Even the demons know, and they shudder, right? That scripture talks about that. So knowledge of the truth is not enough. And there's plenty of people that you will share the gospel with, and they'll have that knowledge in their head, but it won't reach their heart. Yeah, they're not transformed or changed by what the God has truly done for them. And, and Hebrews 6 kind of warns us about the dangers of falling away. It's so important to genuinely repent and believe. The evidence of a soul saved from the consequences of sin and death is a transformed life. And that life is transformed, Christian, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, it's someone who knows the truth and does not accept it is calling God a liar. And it's no different than those that Christ warned in Matthew. And we've talked about Matthew 30 to 32, where they're blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Okay? To know the knowledge of truth and to have the new truth come into your life and to see that truth presented to you in the form of the gospel and to push it away is to say that's not true. God is a liar. They don't realize when they reject the gospel that that's what they're doing, but that's what it is. Right. And if you read Matthew 12, you'll see that they were blaspheming the Holy Spirit by calling Christ a demon, and he's doing things under the power of the Beelzebub. I mean, they accused him of doing all kinds of things with the power of the devil, and he said, that's one thing God will not forgive. Okay, it's one thing to talk to the Son of Man that way, but to deny what the Holy Spirit is doing, and we did a whole episode on yeah, this. Yeah. Okay, that's calling God a liar. Okay, so having the, the knowledge of truth, that's not salvation either. Salvation is not having the knowledge. You've got to act upon that knowledge, and that's recognizing your sin and genuinely repenting from that and letting the Holy Spirit come live in and through you and transform your life. Amen. I mean, even in John 15, uh, you see Jesus talking about, I am the true vine and my father is the vine grower. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he cleans it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Here it is, verse 4, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit from itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. It's impossible to bear fruit without abiding in Christ. It's impossible to bear fruit out of your own work and your own righteousness. You gotta, you, you gotta acknowledge the fact that all you can contribute to your relationship with, 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 with God from your own self, your relationship with Christ, is sin. And so you have to rely on the fact that Christ is your only sacrifice. Christ is your only, only means of being in a right relationship with God. It's like I said before, it's either the wrath of God falls on you or it falls on Christ. The, the, the minute you keep keep trying to play this game of like, okay, well, I'm going to get in good standing or I'm going to do, and you keep under doing that, you're undermining what Christ has already done for you. That's it's why it's a complete surrender. Give it up. Give up your own righteousness and cling to Christ. He's all that you have. 
I love what James says here in chapter 2, um, verse, uh, do, 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 where am I here? Do, 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 do. Um, here we go. Verse 17, even though, even so faith, if it has no works, is dead itself. You have faith and I have works, someone will say. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by works. And this is why I said before that, you know, even the demons believe and they're not saved. I mean, look at Judas. Judas was a, the manifestation of this. This is a person that was in the presence of Christ. He saw everything that Christ was. He saw everything that Christ did. Okay. And even with that knowledge, he turned away. Like Simon and, the, and this magician, he just saw what was in front of him and they chose to walk away. And Judas is like the most grievous example of that. Yeah. He betrayed the, uh, the, the teacher with a kiss. I mean, it's faith without works is dead, but salvation definitely is not having the knowledge. Saying, I know who Jesus is, is not enough, okay? You've got to have the, 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 you have to have the fruits of the gift. You have to bear the fruit. You have to show evidence of that. And to me, the evidence is a changed life. Yeah, and honestly, um, you know, a person that kind of struggles with trying to do this out of their own sure will, you know, you know, you, you can see that with Judas a little bit because, you know, yes, a lot of people will say like he repented. He brought back the silver and said that this man is surely not, you know, is surely, surely not guilty. Um, he continues down the path of what Paul talks about when he says um, uh, worldly sorrow leads to death, but godly sorrow um, uh you know, produces that repentance pretty much. Um, and so you see, you, you see uh, um, Judas going down that route of not coming back like the prodigal son does or Peter as well. I mean, you have Peter and the prodigal son. Those are perfect examples of true repentance on turning back, acknowledging like, shoot, I'm here. Now I need to run back to God. It's that continuing to um, uh, walk further and further away from God to the point where you take salvation into your own hands instead of giving it to God and saying, Lord, forgive me. So sure, maybe Judas was trying to repent, but at, at the same time, there was no fruit on turning back to God. He took the matters into his own hands. There's no arguing that uh, Judas, as exposed as he was to Christ, just like all the other apostles, he had the knowledge to, for salvation. He had it within his grasp. Okay? Jesus said it in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. But Judas chose death over life. And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He was there and he chose death over life. And there's many people that make that choice and, and they can have the knowledge of who Jesus is. Okay. But they don't have the, uh, they, they don't have salvation. Salvation is not having the knowledge. That's something that definitely it is not. And you know what else salvation is not? It's not going through a whole bunch of religious activity. That does not equal salvation either. And I can tell you that growing up a Catholic, I remember, I remember, Christian, including my parents. I watch so many people go through all the motions of, of going to church, being baptized, praying, lighting candles. I mean, as a Catholic, I can tell you there's a lot of stuff. You, being a Catholic is hard work. 
I remember one time my father, a penance that he had to do. We lived in the projects of Brooklyn and downtown Brooklyn. And from where we lived in the projects to our church, it was a St. James Cathedral in Tillery Street in Brooklyn. Uh, New Yorkers will know where that is. But that's not close to our projects where we used to live. My father walked one day from the projects all the way to church barefoot. And I thought my father was crazy when he did this. That's wild. But it was a penance that he was doing, you know, some kind of Catholic penance. You know, Catholics are always beating themselves up in order to pay for their sins. Jesus on the cross was not enough somehow. I didn't understand this stuff as a kid, but I remember my father going through this religious activity. And, and he was doing it to appease God somehow. But walking to church barefoot through broken glass of the Brooklyn streets all the way to church. I thought he was crazy, but this is the kind of stuff that people do. And, you know, it appeals to human nature to do things on your own, to do things for myself, because we're all masters of our own destiny, aren't we? Right? It's true. That, that appeals. Yeah. We, we want to achieve these things ourselves. John MacArthur talks about it. He talks about, you know, there's the religion of human achievement where you do everything. Okay, and then there's the religion of the gospel. I hope I got that right. But there's basically where human achievement, I've got to do whatever I got to do to get to heaven. But then there's the other religion, the true religion, which is Christ did it all. Okay, there is no works. There's no religious practices that you can do. The only way to, to heaven is through, through Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to, to the Father except through me. And, you know, Israel was guilty of this because they also, Christian, went through all the motions of being religious and they were unprepared to receive true salvation. OK, they had to possess true salvation. And when it showed up, I mean, John covers this well, right? The light came into the world and it recognized him not. Amen. OK, they, they were not ready because they were going through all the religious motions. They were doing everything that they thought they needed to be done. But when he showed up. Okay, they weren't ready. Okay, and it's like in Matthew uh, 25, verses 1 to 3, and you can read this on your own, folks, but it's the parable of the ten virgins. You had the five virgins that were ready and the five virgins that were not. You know, that's right. Israel was the virgins that were the virgins that were not ready. They thought they were going through all the motions and getting ready for the bridegroom to come. But when the bride, when midnight came, okay, Matthew 25, verse six. But when midnight, there was a shout and behold, the bridegroom come and meet him. Then all those virgins, virgins who rose and trimmed their lamps went. And the foolish ones said to the prudent, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the prudent said, no, there will not be enough for us. And for you too. instead, go to the dealers and buy some for themselves. And they went away and the bridegroom came and they missed the wedding feast. That's Israel. That's the parable of Israel. They're going through all this religious activity, thinking and going through all the motions. And guess what? They were unprepared when the Savior showed up. They're like those virgins that just didn't have the oil for their lamps. And when he went to get their oil, the bridegroom was done and he went to other people. There's also another parable where the the the, the king throws the, I think it's a king. The wedding feast. Yeah, yeah. throws a wedding feast and he invites the whole town. No one comes and he says, the servants, I'll go to the byways and our highways and bring everybody in. Because these people didn't want to come. I'll go find people that will. Yeah, but even if you go further into that, he also talks about how someone got in without the garments that he provided. And he said, who let this, who let you in without yeah, the garments? Who let this dude in? And it, it shows that God provides the garment for for, for us, the, the, the righteousness for us. You obviously mentioned Ephesians 2, 8, 
which is the whole thing is for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. I also love how Peter opens up the his first letter uh, in chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and unfading, having been kept in heaven for you. Verse 5 is where, where it gets interesting. Who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Even even going further, going to Romans uh, 4.16. For this reason, it is by faith, in order that it may be according to grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So it has to be, it has to be by faith so that it can be according to grace as what uh, Paul is saying here. And the reason it has to be by faith is so that grace would be made known. If we try to add to that, grace is, it's not grace anymore. You know what I'm saying? Like it's not, it, it's, it's not the gift of God anymore. So it's the heavenly gift because it's the gift of God. And Israel kind of missed out. They were following a religion that was taking them nowhere, and, and Jesus came along, and they missed the boat on that one. So, you know, it's it's like you say. I mean, it, here we are at the gospel again, Christian, because we serve in, swerve into it at every episode because mm-hmm. it just, you cannot avoid it. But these are the things that salvation is not, okay? And, and doing a service in the name of God is not salvation either. Meditation, fasting, self-punishment, living the good life. Yeah. You know, you hear this one too, especially loving others, acts of service, charity, okay? Maybe abstaining from sin. Maybe that'll get me salvation. No, those things do not get you salvation. Salvation is not denying sin or claiming to be saved or pretending to be. Salvation is a gift from God that cannot be earned by good deeds or simply by being a good person. And these are important things to remember that we covered in this episode, Christian. I mean, there's a lot more to cover on the subject. Yeah. But we wanted to approach it on the negative because we thought these were some good texts to kind of bring some of that out so that people are not confused about what they believe. Okay? Salvation is what the Bible tells us it is. Okay? And it's all faith in Christ. Okay, realizing that we need to be delivered from our sins. It's not these things. It's not having the knowledge. It's not acts of service. It's not going through religious activities. It's 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 more than just living a moral and ethical life. Okay, and the Simon story is particularly poignant because there's people out there that are self-deceived into thinking they've arrived, but where's the transformed life? Where is the life that, that that's being transformed from within through the Holy Spirit? The same way that the, the Holy Spirit is working through Acts through the apostles to build a church, God is doing something wonderful in the life of believers if you just let him in. And it's true what the Bible says. You, you, be, you become a new creation. The old man is dead. And when the Spirit of God comes to live in you, you become brand new. 
Okay, we go back to Nicodemus a lot because Jesus said it right out of his own mouth. You must be born again. You must be something else other than what you are right now. So don't deceive yourself, folks. And if you know people that are deceived into thinking that all these things are salvation, it is not. Get with them. Get into the scriptures with these folks and straighten out their thinking in a loving way, of course. I know we're not telling you to hit them over the head with the Bible, but in a loving way, bring some understanding to some of those folks so that they could know just exactly what salvation is. Okay. And what it's not. Okay. I think we covered that pretty well, Christian. Amen. Anything else you want to add before we depart? Uh, no, I mean, just thinking about God and how his complete, uh, pleasure and delight and happiness, happiness is ultimately in his son. So if you don't have Christ, you don't have God. I mean, that's who that's who the father loves is the son. So that's why Christ is so important because he loves the son with probably the most intense love we would we could ever imagine. So if we don't have Christ, we don't have the love of God. Christ is everything. Um, he's the son of God. He's the sacrifice, the lamb of God. Amen. Amen. And if you have any questions about uh, the gospel, if this is something that touched your heart and you want to reach out to us, hey, go in our show notes and just go ahead and hit the link that says join the conversation. Reach out to us. We want to make sure that we're reaching back to you and helping you walk through and understand just exactly what we're teaching here and understanding the gospel and who Jesus is in your life. Salvation is very important, and it's very important also that we get it right. It's so very important that Amen. we get it right. So that's what we wanted to share with you guys today. I hope that brings some value into your lives. I know we have fun going through these scriptures, and I hope you guys too. But stay tuned for what's coming ahead. Like like we just announced, is another podcast coming, Evidence of Truth. It's going to be powerful testimonies of people who have been transformed like we're talking about here. Yep. Lives transformed by the power of the word, and that's important. So I'm going to take it home, Christian. Anything else you want to add before I do no, that? No, you take it home, brother. We love you, folks. Okay, just look at our show notes. Stay plugged into social media so you can know when that new uh, show is going to drop. And thank you for listening. We, it's a joy having you, and it's a joy teaching, and it's a joy being here with you, Christian. Same. We love having you guys. Love we you love guys. you guys, and we'll see you God in the next you. episode. Take care. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. We pray that we have been an encouragement to you. This episode has been made possible by listeners like you. Please consider partnering with us through your prayers and gifts. Your support enables us to provide sound biblical teaching that helps others open up their understanding of the scriptures across the globe. To support this show financially, click the Donate Now link in the episode notes, or you can visit our podcast website at relentlesslybiblical.org and use a donate link in the podcast player or the Support This Show button that's on our homepage. Thank you for your gracious support. Join us again for our next episode, and remember to always be in God's Word and stay relentlessly biblical. This episode has been a production of Core Truth Media, owned and operated by Core Truth Ministries. This podcast was recorded and engineered at Prevail Studios.